this right here is what keeps me coming back. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to our Serious Angler podcast, episode number 148, two episodes away from a, a big old party coming this Friday. Full uh, again, week of live. Full week of live. Tonight, we are joined by Mr. Brandon Lester of the Elite Series. And then, uh, as a reminder to everybody, Wednesday, we have Derek Hudnall, and on Friday, Mr. Mark Rose. But uh, three podcasts week. all live this week, all going to be really fun, big parties but, uh, dude, it's been a wild day. I've been up since 3 in the morning, and uh, I'm not in New York anymore. I'm down in Tennessee, early in Athens, for 30 minutes from uh, Lake Chickamauga, which I'll be putting in the work in this week for the uh, Bass Nation Kayak Derby this weekend. Dude, if you sure. come across any sweet tackle, you need to, like, call me or text me because I might have you pick me some stuff up. Oh, you're too late. I already stopped at uh, Cane Pole in Kentucky. I got I picked Dude, up some things. <laughs> I let you know in on the brown backs, and then you let me down. Hey, there were no nuts. I couldn't get any brown backs. It doesn't count. <laughs> well, you know, like, <laughs> I tried. <laughs> now, I'll be going to uh, our, our buddy Jacob Fouts and Alex Rudd mentioned uh, the Dayton Boat Dock, I believe it's called. Brandon could probably confirm that with us. I said it's the best one around. So, Need you to give me some. Some flat sides, some like Tennessee yeah. flat side balsas. Okay. okay. I got to pick up a net. I got to pick up a net because yeah, I, I lost, you lost it. Right right so I kind of yeah. need that one for Saturday. <laughs> Can't Who really both flip everything in that in that outback, but I don't have a net in my boat. Well, it's different. You have a boat. You have room to put them on the deck. <laughs> if I put them on the deck, I'm getting a treble hook in a place I don't want to get a That's treble. Fine. <laughs> That's fine. That's <laughs> fine. Oh man. So, well. But, uh, yeah, fun podcast tonight, and uh, you, you got anything coming up that we can we can talk about, or are we going to get right into it, Brandon? I mean, I got nothing coming up. Uh, oh, yeah, so I my marine merchant captain's license got accepted today, so okay, in about six, weeks, I'm going to have my red book in. We're going to be able to start booking trips on Lake Erie for some big smallmouth out of Buffalo, so oh, really okay. excited about that. If anyone's looking to get on some big old smallies, we know we know a couple guys. One of them's right here. <laughs> yeah, just a couple, and they're all guys. Yep. <laughs> so, well, well, for that, well, dude, congratulations. That's awesome. I know it's been a long time coming, but uh, we'll talk a little bit more COVID. about that after. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about that after the show. But let's get him on here, Mr. Brandon Lester. What's hey, going on, hey, man? Hey, I'm good. good. How are y'all doing? Good. Doing good. Not as good as you putting a full day in the stand. I I'm still aching from my 11 and a half car ride, but it sounds like you had a an eventful day. It was a fun day. It was fun. Uh, pretty slow this morning, but this afternoon was definitely good. I saw tons of deer and didn't see a big one, but it's just a matter of time. I think they're they're definitely starting to get active around here. Sounds like things are are picking up for you though, so that's good. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not a like a big hunter i actually don't hunt at all but bailey i think on opening day got like a 10 point with his bow so it was, it was the first, fourth or fifth day and actually 
yeah, he's I, I promising me venison. Ever, I've seen him like three times. He's yet to give it to me. So he's just <laughs> falling flat on everything. <laughs> I'm, really, I'm really glad about remembering stuff. But yeah, I gotta get you some venison. But yeah, my brother and I had a real quick story. I know nobody really likes to listen to hunting on, on this platform, but uh, my brother and I, uh, by 7:30 in the morning, uh, sunrise was seven o'clock. By 7:30, I had shot a nine, and my brother shot a big eight within. We were within 80 yards of each other, so yeah. that's all. Awesome. It, it was an eventful morning, that's for sure. But uh, but Brandon, welcome to the show, man. It's I know it's your first time on here, and uh, I was supposed to tell you Ronnie Moore says hello. I was on the phone with him today, and he told me to say hi. Oh, uh, <laughs> but uh, before we get too deep in the show, man, everybody who's new to the show, we like to ask you know what your first uh, first fishing experience was like that first bass catch who got you into it the whole nine yards the first bass i remember catching and i'm not certain that it's the first bass i ever caught but the first one i ever remember i was six years old i think and there's a little bitty creek it's not far from where i live now maybe 15 or 20 minutes away and it's not much more than just a little pool of water um and i was down there with my dad with a live minnow a bobber and a split shot and that's the that's the first bass i remember catching i mean it was probably a pound and a half or two pounds but i mean i guess it must have lit a fire because i've been fishing ever since <laughs> yeah. I now, was that a smallie no it was a large mouth just oh, a little dang. creek large mouth yeah <laughs> yeah up here those are rare it wasn't it wasn't until later on that i uh, that I started catching some smallmouth here around home. We're pretty blessed here in Tennessee. I mean, we got big largemouth. We got big smallmouth. You know, there's some spotted bass around here. So we definitely got a lot of diver diversity when it comes to uh, our fisheries. But, no, I grew up fishing creeks, farm ponds, rivers. I mean, not necessarily uh, hardcore bass fishing even. I mean, I've always just kind of been just a fisherman. But... You know, bass fishing is how I found a way to, to make a living, I guess. Heck, yeah. I might have to uh, pick your brain on some secret honey holes to go fish after the tournament this week. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, you, 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 make a point. Yeah. <laughs> you make a great point, though. Is like I feel like a lot of anglers, like, if they live around the country and you hear about a lot of guys moving to different states so they can – to help, like, better their, their skills, right, to be around different areas. And I feel like it's either Tennessee or Alabama – that you see all these guys moving to because of the diversity. And also you're kind of like almost, I think Tennessee is probably the, the most central location for a lot of your guys' tournaments. Yeah. Yeah. Most definitely. I mean, you, you see a lot of guys moving to the Gunnersville area and mm -hmm. where I live in Southern middle Tennessee, I'm only an hour and 20 minutes from Gunnersville. Right. So, you know, I'm basically I, within two hours, I can be to all the really good Tennessee River Lakes. You know, Gunnersville, Wheeler, Wilson, Pickwick, all of those are within a couple of hours. So, I mean, you, you can't beat that. Yeah. What would you say is your home lake then? Uh, the, the lake that I really cut my teeth on is a lake called Tim's Ford Lake. So it's, I would compare it to like a small Dale Hollow. It's 10,000 acres. It's got small mouth, large mouth. Um, it's deep, it's clear, a lot of rock, no grass whatsoever. Um, so that's where I started out kind of fishing club tournaments and stuff when I was 16, 17 years old. And then I started going to Gunnersville and learning about grass and fishing grass and that kind of thing. And, right. Uh, 
Yeah. So how how did you wind up getting into tournaments then? Was your was your dad into it at all, or is that something no. you got on your own? No, not really. Um, I just like I said, I always just loved to fish. And in high school, I met uh, a good friend of mine, Robbie Croslin. We started fishing together. We fished together in college. But in high school, we uh, he was into fishing bass tournaments. He he had fished a few bass tournaments, and and we started fishing some club tournaments together. And um, man, it it wasn't long before every weekend we were fishing a tournament somewhere, whether it be on Tim's Ford or Gunnersville, or and then like I said, we went to college at UT Chattanooga. Um, you know, and it just kind of blossomed from there. We fished a couple of collegiate national championships out in Texas. Um, so that's basically how I got my start. Right. So to talk to us a little bit then about like your, your timeline from starting tournaments and then obviously getting to where you are now on the elites. Yeah. So like I said, I started fishing tournaments 16 or 17 years old. Uh, then went on to college, I'd, I'd say, you know, I think about it now, now that I'm 32 years old and I have kids, uh, what my parents must have thought and Robbie's parents must have thought, my, my fishing partner, when we're 19 years old dragging a uh, bass boat 12 hours across the country to Texas to fish a collegiate national championship by ourselves, you know, I mean, and I mean, college kids do it all the time nowadays also, but I yeah. just... I don't know. They, I guess our parents had a lot of trust in us, but then after that, you know, after college, I came back to my hometown, um, got a job, got a job, went to work and decided to start fishing the Bassmaster Opens. Um, 2012 was the first year I fished the Bassmaster Southern Opens with hopes of qualifying for the elite series. That was always my dream. Um, and I was going to, I wanted to give myself a chance, you know, I was fully prepared. If it didn't work out, then we'll figure out another way. I wanted to do something in the fish fishing industry, certainly. Um, but 2012, I fished the opens, didn't qualify my first year, but the second year I fished them in 2013, I won the 2013 Southern opens points. Um, so I qualified for the elite series in 2014. Um, so this year we just wrapped up my seventh season on the elite series and it and it's flown by i can't believe how quickly those seven years have went by but i certainly couldn't be happier that's for sure and and i don't want to sound arrogant or here but you've qualified for your seventh classic now so you've made a classic every year i missed one i missed you? one oh, at conroe yeah i missed the one at conroe but six out of seven that I'll take that's that. pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As I say, congrats on the, the classic birth. I, are you excited to go to Ray Roberts? I definitely am. Yeah. I, I've never been there. You know, I've fished close to there, but I've never been there before, but, uh, you know, definitely probably be doing some scouting over there between now and the first of the year. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely excited about that one. The thing about the classic, you can't win it if you're not there. So that's true. you, you, you got to get there, man. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you have any insight for us that there's going to be an expo? I do not. You know, the rumor mills already started to fly. Yeah. And, and it is Texas and they, they seem to not care about any rules. So maybe they'll <laughs> stick y'all outside or something. <laughs> I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I certainly hope so. Gosh, yeah. I, I hope we can get back to normal by then. 
yeah, yeah. 100%. Uh, this past classic, I uh, went down to work the, the Douglas booth, and it was an incredible experience down at uh, in Alabama and Birmingham. But yeah. um, and you had yourself a derb uh, there too. I, I thought day one you were going to run away with at least day one weights, but obviously Hank screwed it up for everybody. But uh, if you had to pick one, like I, the most memorable derb throughout your career that kind of like maybe help helped you decide like this is what I want to do with my career. Was there is there a tournament that you can remember that's like that was kind of almost career changing? Yeah, I guess the first one that comes to mind is my first year on the Elite Series. I uh, I was on the Classic Bubble. I mean, I took it down to the wire. I went into the AOY Championship in Escanaba, Michigan, having to catch them, or I or I didn't make the Classic. You know, and and it wasn't really a make or break thing. I mean, I wasn't dead broke, and if I didn't get a check, I wasn't. Gonna, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a deal like that. But I desperately wanted to make that Classic. I mean, that was something that I felt like I needed to do for myself and for my sponsors. Um, and I showed up there, and I think I finished – I'm pretty sure I finished in the top ten in that deal. I mean, I had like 24 pounds the first day. I was in second place, I think, after the first day. So I pretty much knew at that point that I had made the Classic, you know. And that right. just – I don't know, making the Classic that first season, and that, that just kind of – told myself it did a lot for my confidence and told me that you know hey i i belong here i can do this you know right yeah now, taking a step back here escanaba didn't you guys fish like two days and like out of six like because you kept we postponing did. them like i yeah. remember that <laughs> yeah we did it was crazy and it it's crazy too because that's such a great fishery but i don't know if we'll ever go back because the weather is <laughs> maybe not that so time yet. yeah yeah. How was that mentally on you? Like sitting there, like, oh my gosh, for three days canceled in. Now I get to go fishing finally. What yeah. was your mind? What was your thought process going into that last day? Because I, because you fished like day one, and then there was like a three or four day break, and then it was like a last day, make it or break it, if I remember correctly, right? Yeah, I think that's right. And I think by the end of it, we were all just like, let's get it over with. You know, I mean, <laughs> gosh, let's just go. Um, but no, it, it was, it was good and it, and it worked out good. I caught a, I had, I think I had 24 the first day. And then the second day I didn't do as good because I ended up having to split my fish up some with, with some other guys, but it ended up working out good enough that I made the classic. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, I put up a, a comment on the screen here from, uh, Rich Lindgren, a friend of ours in the show, uh, hello bass. He has his own. YouTube channel. Uh, everyone should check that out. But he had commented that he said that boat dock catch in the Gunnersville Classic that Lester had where he was flipping that giant over the rope made me even a bigger Lester fan. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that fish. You know, it's, yeah. funny. Yeah. it's funny. I had I did not realize that that fish weighed over six pounds, like six four, I think. And just a big old pre-spawn female. And I, I had flipped her over that rope. You know, there I had flipped there was a pontoon boat and a rope was holding it. I flipped it over that rope and I, it was happening so fast in my mind. My thought process was, well, I flipped it over the rope. I might as well just boat flip it. So that's what I did. I <laughs> flipped it twice. <laughs> At that point, you're already in. So that fish yep. just hooked good. Yep. yep. It's All funny. Right. Like 
point. As bass fishermen, I feel like we almost had to live and die by like making those casts. We're like, you know what? I made it in there. I'll figure out how to land it if I hook one. That's, that's exactly that, right. That was awesome. Yeah, you yep, can't yep. be afraid. No, nope. <laughs> make, I, make I, I, I tell people all the time: if you don't get the bite, I promise you, you're not going to catch it. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, if you make an iffy cast and you don't get him, hey, at least you tried. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, make the cast and worry about putting them in the boat later. That's right. <laughs> yep. Uh, we have quite a comment. What's that? I said, that's my philosophy anyway. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we had a, a comment as well. Someone was asking, uh, out of your, or out of the Tennessee chain lakes, what would you pick? I'm assuming they mean like as your favorite. Uh, yeah. Let's see. You know, I would probably have to go with Gunnersville just because it's it's close to home, and I, I do spend quite a bit of time there. Not, I mean, I I'd say I fish there twenty five times a year, probably something like that. I mean, you know, um, but Pickwick would be a close second. Pickwick is an awfully good lake, man, and and you got really two different lakes in one when you go to pickwick you can fish up near mcfarland up near the tail race and it's there are giant large mouth but it's known for a great big small mouth up there and then you right. get down down on the lower end you know bear creek yellow creek that area down there down to the, the to the lower dam and that's where most of the good ledge fishing goes on so right. you know pickwick is definitely a close second but all of them are good they really are right so uh i think I think Travis Manson, Smallmouth Crush, has a really good video of the Pickwick Dam throwing swim baits for. Mm -hmm. I think he in three casts he had a, a big largemouth, big spot, and a big smallmouth. Yeah, yeah, I think I saw some of that video. Yeah, yeah. that was crazy. giants too. Yeah, <laughs> ever yeah. since that, it's been on my it's been on my bucket list to get down there and try that. Yeah. That place looks unreal, but uh, I heard I heard Wilson's pretty good too. It is really good, and if if you want a chance at a true giant, the past few years anyway, Wilson has been where most of the six plus pound smallies have been coming from, even some wow. seven and eights. Yeah. yeah, I would say I have a buddy down there who sent me a picture of an eight pounder last fall in the tournament. Yep. So yeah. just gigantic smallmouth. I mean, I live on Buffalo in Lake Erie, so I, I'm used to big smallies, but eight pounders are rare. Whenever oh, yeah. I see one like yeah. upper sixes, I'm just like, whoo, yeah. <laughs> don't get too many of those. No, no. Even over seven, man. I mean, I, I've caught a bunch of smallmouth, and I think six twelve is my biggest. I've I've never broke seven. That's just when you get over a seven pound smallmouth, that's like a twelve pound largemouth. That's I mean, yeah. that's a great big one. <laughs> oh yeah. And they fight so hard too most of the time. It's like, oh they God. Do. Yeah. yeah. Tricky thinking that's a big drum. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, our buddy Adam Bartusik asked in the comments. He said, "Out of any fall events, were there any that you enjoyed?" He said, "As odd as that sounds, but any you'd like to go back to in the fall, because uh, obviously we know how good they are in the spring." You know what? Lake Fork was the the funnest one of the fall events. I think um, <laughs> Gunnersville was not too fun. Chickamauga was not too fun. I'll just be honest <laughs> with you; they were dadgum tough and. And it sucks, too, because I know both of those fisheries pretty well, and I know just how darn good they can be and how good they are, you know. But um, at the end of the day, I, you know, my hat's still off to bass for 
making sure that we got to finish the season. I mean, that, right. we were all worried about that at, at one point in this year, whether we were going to get to finish our season. And no, we were not there at the right at the best times to showcase the lake. But hey, we got to have our tournaments, and it's all right. good. Right, and honestly, when you think, I mean, personally, I loved it because you did see a lot of you know the elite your the elite guys struggle, and I think with that, I think you know for the avid fan. They learned a lot from watching you guys, you know, go through the process of trying to, you know, figure things out on the fly each day during a tournament. Uh, I personally enjoyed it for that. Um, but it was also kind of cool because it was like it almost was kind of fitting with this year with COVID because the lack of football. It was kind of like you guys kind of filled that gap. Right. So it was kind of like a, I know I think I've heard, you know, business strategies before of Bass or any trail not having fall tournaments because of the conflict with football. Um, but I think, you know, this year just kind of worked out with that in your guys' favor. I think yeah. it was a big hit personally. I hope so. You know, I, I hope we got some people watching. We had a lot of ESPN2 time right. um, live on ESPN2, which is huge for the sport of bass fishing. Heck, yeah. And, and I, I hope we got a lot of people watching and, and interested in bass fishing that weren't before. You know, I mean, that's yeah. that's good for everybody. Yeah. Now, do you think they'll live stream next year on ESPN two again or ESPN three? I certainly hope so. You know, I mean, I I haven't heard. I know some of the numbers were really really good, so hopefully so. I thought I heard over eight million or something like that. It was yeah, it was something like that. I mean, it was astronomical. Really getting up there to football ratings, I feel like yeah, eight million's a lot of people. That is a lot of people, man. That's good. <laughs> That's really Heck good. Yeah. I, it's not good for our fisheries, but it's good for the sport. Right. Yeah, I know. I've, <laughs> <laughs> I've been thinking that, too. I'm like, man, if, if all these people start fishing, they're going to have to start building some more lakes. <laughs> yeah, especially like Lake Fork when they did like the three plus camera when they go like panned over the lake. And it's just like three pounder. You can see right where they drop the spots. You're just like, oh my gosh! Like, I know those right? spots are all ruined. <laughs> At least it's Lake Fork because everybody already fishes there in that region, so yeah. doesn't yeah. matter that much. But if it was like a Chick or a Gunnersville where there might be a couple secret spots, and they pop that off, and they're like, oh, there goes that hole for the next fifteen yep. years. Right. Yeah. That's, a, that's an interesting topic, though. When you kind of think about it, and I hate to sound negative here, and I don't mean it in a negative way, but everyone always preaches, you know, grow the sport, grow the sport, right? But how do we know when the sport's grown? Because it's not like a football or a football where, you know, you can just build a field, you know. The lakes have a capacity, you know. Like, as we saw this year, we those lakes got pounded more than they're used to. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an interesting topic to think about. It is very interesting. And, um, I mean, you, you start seeing – uh, all that pressure take its toll too. I mean, if you don't believe that, just look at the weights at the Chickamauga tournament and the Gunnersville tournament. That's after those fish have been pounded all summer long out there on the ledges. You got fish in between, fish in limbo. And just to give you an example, when we got to Lake Fork, I could go down a stretch of docks with my jig, or I could pull up to a certain dock, a shallow dock that had brush on it, and I knew there was a bass sitting there. I could fire my jig in there and not get a bite. If I picked up a drop shot and I could get it in there, I would get a bite. Guaranteed. No question mm -hmm. asked. I mean, that tells you those those fish have seen a lot of jigs. Right. Oh, I, I'm sure grass and jigs go tenfold with big bass. So, Oh, yeah. 
Those yeah. poor fish. <laughs> they probably have like ten hook holes in the top of their jaws too. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Uh, we have a comment here that said, "If they had an event out west, where would you want to fish?" You know, I wouldn't mind going back to the California Delta. Uh, I got to go there my second year on tour. It's a long dang drive, but it it was fun fishing. It really was. If we do go back, I would not want to go back out of Sacramento. We went out of Sacramento and had to run like seventy miles to get to the good part of the Delta. I would want to. I would want to put in at the Delta. Um, and that much knows? more fishing time. Yeah, who knows if we could ever work that out? But I would. I wouldn't mind going back to the Delta. Right. I think if it if it in my mind, and I, obviously my thinking is never the best, but if it were to happen, I think ideally for because obviously only very few guys live out west, right? So mm-hmm. obviously it's a lot of travel, a lot more additional funds for a lot of you guys that still live out east. But if they were to do it, though, I feel like it would be ideal if you did, you know, three within a month span, right? So that way you're not yeah. gone from home for too long. You could do like a clear, a delta, maybe a, a shasta or something like that, or even just two. two, again. two yeah, I think that would definitely be interesting. And then you can obviously take a break for a little bit, and then obviously have your later summer tournaments. I don't know how that would work. Obviously, I'm not the best at logistics, but uh, it would definitely be interesting to see you guys go back out west tonight. Let's talked about a lot, but yeah, um, we have another question here. Uh, it would, our friend Adam was asking if you were on tour when they went to I Hawaii. Know, is that, a, is that how you pronounce it? Oh, Washington, Washington, yeah, in South Dakota. He asked what you thought of that place, and would you ever want to go up to the Dakotas or Idaho? Uh, I mean, he asked the West Coast, which you just answered West Coast, but he mentioned the Dakotas or Idaho. Oahe was a beautiful, beautiful place. Uh, probably one of the coolest places I've ever been. I've, I've not spent a lot of time in the upper Midwest, not out west in general, really. Um, so that was my first trip ever to South Dakota and it, it was a really cool place. I didn't have a really good tournament there, but I did learn a lot and I would like to go back knowing now, um, you know, no, know, knowing what I know now, I, I would like to have another shot at that place. Most definitely. Yes. All right. Did you find yourself getting distracted with looking for deer while in South Dakota? I did. Yes. And there's peasants <laughs> up on the bank running around and. Gosh, it's just beautiful country, you know. Right. And I, but I, awesome. mean, I had my I had my family with me, and they had a good time. They went over and saw Mount Rushmore, and I mean, it was a, it was a cool trip, a neat experience. Yeah, I remember yeah, well. somebody posted about that, and they were like, "Dang you, South Dakota, and all your gravel roads!" Like, yeah, it's <laughs> like all the roads are like stone to get to Oahe. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, it's the middle of nowhere for sure. I mean, it's it's a lot of farmland and wide open cornfields, but it was it was a neat place. And like I said, I learned a lot. It threw me for a curveball. I'm not gonna lie, it was different than any place I've ever been, really. But um, right. I, I learned a lot at that one. I'd like to go back. Right. Yeah, I remember that tournament distinctively because when I heard that you guys were going there, I tried to look up information on bass fishing that lake. And all you could find was walleye stuff. Yep. So that, it's like you guys literally went in like blind. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. No, that's if you look it up, that's what it's known for. They have a lot of big walleye tournaments out there, but obviously it's a pretty darn good smallmouth fishery oh. too. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. What's um? Was it Coeur d'Alene? Is that how it's pronounced in Idaho? Yeah. Is that the is that the big smallmouth lake that they have out there? 
It's supposed to be. I, I think that somewhere right in there is where Polonix from. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. And I think that's I, why people know about it. Yeah, <laughs> all I've heard is talk about it, but I've I've heard it's really good. Right. I think I've seen a few pictures from uh, his cameraman Kyle. He's posted them and and shared them, and uh, that that was beautiful country. I, I don't think you'd be able to do Bassmaster live out there because I doubt their signal. But <laughs> if you would, that would be incredible TV. Yeah, one hundred percent. But uh, we have a question here uh, from Jacob Bell asking uh, what your chatterbait setup is. Um, chatterbait setup. So I throw mine. I'll go through everything: rod, reel, all that. I throw okay. mine on a seven foot three composite crankbait rod, um, or basically a crankbait, like a like a heavier crankbait rod, like a medium heavy cranking rod. You want something that. Definitely still has enough power to drive the hook home. Maybe a little more power than, say, like a shallow cranking rod or something. Um, right. But I like a seven foot three. I, I I feel like seven foot's too short and seven six is too long for me. I like seven three, seven four would be okay. Um, I throw it on a seven to one reel is what I throw it on. Um, I know a lot of guys like six to one, but I like seven to one because it, you know, if I, if I need to slow down, I just reel slower. If I, if I right. need to get faster or if one of those fish, a lot of times on a chatterbait, they'll hit it and come right at you. So catch you up. can, you can catch up with them. Right. Uh, and I throw mine on 15 or 17 pound vicious fluorocarbon. Uh, most of the time 17, but I will go down to 15 if, if I feel like I need to get it down a little deeper or if the fish are a little funny a little finicky okay so let, let me get your take on the because we hear this argument all the time and i'm sure you you've answered this before too uh the argument between graphite versus composite yeah what what's your take so i should have i guess i should have been more clear i throw mine on a it, it's a graphite rod but it feels like it it's it's not glass Okay, it's it's a blend of it's a blend of graphites. So okay. you still get the feel of graphite. I, I'm not a big fan of straight glass rods. Um, you know, and and I feel like, you know, a lot of guys are. Obviously a lot of guys that are right. really, really good with a chatterbait are. Right. It's just a personal preference thing. And I mean heck, dude, I've caught them on a chatterbait on a seven foot three medium heavy graphite rod that you throw a worm on. A lot of times if they eat it, you're gonna catch every one of them. But it's right. those times when they're not really eating it really good that you might get that couple of extra fish when you want that rod that's got some give to it. Right. That makes sense. It's it's an interesting debate because everyone you hear yes. give their take always has good points about it. And you always get torn about this one. But I think at the end of the day, right, it just comes down to what you know your personal preference is. It is. And a lot of it depends on the situation too. Like if I'm just right. chunking out on a grass flat or just going down the bank with it i definitely want that composite rod but if i'm actually skipping it under docks a lot of times i'll throw it on like a seven foot two medium heavy worm rod mm -hmm. or a spinnerbait rod just so i can be more accurate around docks yeah. and stuff. fair enough yeah i think that might be one of the most like argumentative techniques because everyone has their own opinion i i know somebody who throws it on a seven foot composite like medium action rod he'll only throw a three eight ounce but he throws it on a five to three to one reel and he just really? cracks them yeah yeah 
Huh. And I'm like, what the heck? So yeah. like, I feel like it's the one technique you can fish fit however you want to and still get bites. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I mean, I, I, I think of it a lot like a, like a lipless crankbait type of deal. As long as you're feeling that vibration, you're not doing it wrong. Right. Did I just, uh, did my, did my picture blank out here for a second? Or was for that like me? half a second? You're good. Okay. okay. And they all like went black and did the like, little circle loading thing. And I was like, uh-oh. That hotel Wi-Fi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're on that. We're on that Hamilton or what? I even know Hamilton in. I don't know what I'm in. I don't even know. <laughs> Someplace. <laughs> but uh, one of my questions for you, Brandon, is, and I'm sure this could obviously fluctuate and, and be variable depending on time of year and obviously location. But uh, if you were to put it in general, you know, your mindset of approaching practice, you know. In general, what are you typically, you know, how do you approach, you know, a derb in the Elite Series? That's basically what I'm trying to get at when it comes to your mindset. So the biggest thing about practice is to remember that it's just that. It's it's just practice. That's all it is. Just because you have a bad one doesn't mean you're going to have a bad tournament. Um, just because you have a good practice doesn't mean you're going to have a good tournament. Uh, my perfect practice <clears throat> I like to find an area. No matter where I go, if I look back at most of the tournaments that I've done really well in, it's because I found an area that was good and I really dissected it during the tournament and learned the nuances of that area every single day. And by the fourth day, I was so gum dialed in that I was going to catch them. You know, I mean, that that's, that's what I like to do. There are guys, it's funny, if you look at guys like, Brian Thrift comes to mind. That guy can run a pattern better than anybody in the world. He can make a thousand stops a day. I cannot do that. My mind spins out when I try to do that. I just can't do it. I need to find an area. And so that's what I always try to accomplish. I try to find me one key area and maybe two or three spots that I can fall back on if I need to. Um, and, and I try to let it unfold during the tournament. I try not to get too dialed in during practice because you need to go into the tournament with an open mind. Okay. That's good. Like that. Definitely a fair point. Just because you never know, like leading up to practice, you're out there for three days beforehand. It can right. be 75 or 95 and sunny most of the time down there in the south. And yeah. The first day of the tournament comes, it'll be blowing 30, cloudy, and raining three inches. That's right. So, because yeah, that's that the way it goes yeah. on tournament day every time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if you can find an area, uh, whether it's a creek or a section of the lake that you know has a lot of fish in it, then your job is then not to run around like a crazy man. It's just to hunker down and figure out how you can catch them now because you know they're still there. Yeah. You know, you hear you hear so many guys, and myself included, I've said it too. Man, I went back during the tournament and they were just gone. They just left. But in all actuality, that does not happen very often. Most of the time, something small changes, and, you know, we got to figure it out. Sometimes we can, sometimes we can't. Right. Yeah, and, and I think that's one of the craziest things about our sport is there's so many variables that we can't control, and it's up to us, and we have eight hours on the water on a tournament day to figure it out, and hopefully we figure it out in the first, like, two because right. if we don't, we, we just start spiraling <laughs> after about six. So, <laughs> right. 
just how you just hope you show up and they're just going crazy busting you're out yeah. all day. <laughs> yep. I knew that yep. was the right decision. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I think oh. you know, ideally, I, I don't know if it's just me, but ideally in practice, I like to I like to see varying weather conditions just so like if I do find something, I can see how they you know how they set up or you know or act or throughout yeah. the conditions. Yeah. Uh, is that something that you can kind of relate to as well, or do you like to see consistency throughout the whole week? Very rarely, you know. We so we when we show up for the elites, we practice Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then this is the normal week now, and then and then we'll fish Thursday through Sunday. Um, very rarely are you going to have the same weather all those days, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I like to see some variation and. And, you know, I mean, most experienced fishermen know that, generally speaking, on a cloudy, windy day, the fish are probably going to be biting more moving bait type stuff like crankbaits, spinnerbaits, chatterbaits. And if you get a high-pressure system and it's sunny and bluebird and maybe you get a cold front, then you're probably going to have to do something slow, maybe finesse fish, maybe flip them out, you know, something like that. So. Every situation's a little bit different, but you just have to keep that in mind. And, you know, that's when a lot of times experience comes into play as well. 100%. That's a good point. We have a, a question here, uh, another um, kind of specific question towards kind of what gear you use, uh, asking if you're a braid or mono guy for topwater or even a combo. Yeah, so walking baits, straight braid. Uh, okay. 30 pound vicious no fade braid is what I use. Um, the only time I use straight mono is either on a prop bait, like a devil source style bait. I right. use straight 20 pound vicious mono on that. Um, and on a pop bar, I still throw straight mono on a pop bar, unless I'm around grass. If I'm around grass, I'll throw it on braid. But okay. uh, again, that's just one of those personal preference things. It's just. Mm -hmm how i do it right is, is there a, like a theory as to why throwing straight mono on the on a pop bar and not as well on a, on a walking bait yeah so on a pop bar and especially the uh the top water prop bait you know down in florida that's a big deal when you go to like okeechobee and places like that uh, a top water prop bait you catch giants down there on it and i kept running into the issue if you throw it on straight braid, the braid will get wrapped around the the front prop on the bait. Oh, that's never foul. good. Yeah, it'll file your bait up. It's terrible. So you you almost have to put some kind of a mono leader on there or put a couple of bobber stops on the line. I've seen, I've seen guys do some crazy tricks to try to keep from mm -hmm. that happening. But I started throwing straight 20-pound uh, mono and that stopped happening and another another issue i was having is when i'd hook like a six or seven pounder it would straighten the hooks out on straight braid because you're making short little small casts to, to very uh isolated targets right. um, and with that mono that didn't happen so uh it, it's just a confidence thing i guess for for the most part i see guys throw both those things on braid and and that works for them but the straight mono works best for me that makes sense yeah. Now, now when you're saying you're straightening the hooks out, I'm I'm guessing you are a guy that just winches down the drag and gets them in the boat no matter what. There's no play yeah. in those big fish. That's no. my kind of style right there. Yeah, on, <laughs> on any on any casting gear, 
the first thing I do if I get a new casting reel, I just want to drag down as far as it'll go. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> spinning reels a totally different story, but the casting gear, I, I don't use drag. I'll use my thumb if I if I get a hold of one man enough to take line, then I can yeah. push the button and and do it with my thumb. <laughs> Fair enough. I right. I am exactly even like Smallies. I'm the same way. I'll be fishing in Lake Erie. Like ten pound test, I have that drag which all the way down, and I just keep turning. I'm like, they're gonna come yep. to me because they're not big enough to break this. Yeah, so. that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. and the quicker you get them in the boat, the more likely they're gonna survive too in the long run. So if you that's wear right. them way out, they get exhausted and yeah. stressed and fatigued. So goal is just yeah. to get them in the boat and go. <laughs> yeah, I just can't stand. I can't stand the drag slipping. I feel like if you. On casting gear, I feel like if you set the drag light enough to where it slips, I feel like I have trouble catching up to them, and yeah. they end up getting slack, and then they come off, and it, it just yeah. doesn't work for me. I know it does some people, but it doesn't work for me. So you almost had to have your thumb on it the whole time while reeling, and I just right. I feel like I would lose some fibers and skin on my thumb if yeah. I didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. I know Andy had some questions for you pertaining to rod building. Andy, do you want to throw them? Are you still building MA checks rods? No, I'm not. No? No. No? No, that deal actually went away last year. And it I mean it was just a business decision. Nothing bad to say about them. And I right. I, I hope it's mutual with them, you know. But <laughs> no, I, I've got something new in the works. I've I've actually gotten to take some of the things that i learned uh while i was building rods and putting them into a new project so uh awesome be looking can't wait to see it a lot yep congratulations thank thank you yeah i had a feeling something happened that's why i wanted to ask because i was like huh mhx isn't the big mainstay on the jersey anymore now it's mustad yeah so right how much time i'm just curious how much time did you have to take out of Maybe I mean I don't know how often you were building rods either, but how long did it usually take you to like build one rod? Uh, you can build one in a couple of hours. I could, uh, and there are guys that are probably quicker than me. Uh, you know, your drying time takes a lot longer than that. But once you once you put the epoxy on, you can walk away from it and let it do mm-hmm. its thing. Um, you know, the the entire process, 12, 14 hours. You know, for everything to be dry and all that, but just actually me sitting there working on it an hour and a half to two hours okay not terrible no No, i mean it's a neat deal it really is it's a neat deal and i learned a lot about fishing rods from from that from all that too absolutely yeah well my last question i have for you uh just because i'm curious is uh obviously besides you know tva system beyond outside of that where's your favorite part of the country to go to for Fun fishing, not just tournaments. You know, it's funny. For a long time, probably five years on the Elite Series, people would ask me, what's your favorite lake in the whole country? And I always told them, ah, I don't know, you know, I don't know. Dude, when I went to Lake Champlain in Upper New York, I knew, like, Champlain is it for me. Champlain is heaven for a bass fisherman. That's you do everything. That's the, that's the best <laughs> lake in the country, in my opinion. I mean, you, you can sit on a blow through and catch 33 plus pound smallmouth and then go flip grass and catch five or 
four or five pound largemouth. You know, I mean, it's just, it's a phenomenal fishery and it's, it's a cool part of the country. So yeah. that's, that's my favorite. Andy, you got anything left for Brandon? Nah, man, hit him with the home run. All right. We're going we're to hit you with one last question. And uh, if the folks have any more questions for Brandon, be sure to get those in right now. Uh, if we have time for them, we'll, we'll throw them at him. But uh, our last question for you is uh, if you could invite any three people, sit down, have a beer, have a steak. Uh, they could be you know, present. They could have been alive 500 years ago. doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be the fishing industry either. Uh, if you could invite any three people, sit down, have a beer, have a steak, and pick their brain, what three people are you going to invite? Oh, wow. Loaded. Man, that's a rough one. <laughs> I love the reaction to this question every time. I, I think it's my favorite part of the show. Because everyone's the same thing. Oh. Like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, the sign of the disbelief. <laughs> yeah, you know, number one, I, w I would probably say Aaron Martins. Uh, and I have got to, got to hang out with Aaron a good bit, but you can never talk to Aaron enough and and by the way Aaron if you see this I hope you're doing well buddy um but that dude is just full of bass fishing knowledge fishing knowledge in general I mean it, it, as meticulous as he I mean dude there's a reason he's like four-time AOY winner or whatever it is right that dude is good so Aaron would definitely be one. Oh, let's see here and real quick, you know what I there's a there's a guy that is synonymous with like Lake Dale Hollow and Tennessee and Big Smallmouth. His name was Billy Westmoreland. He he's dead and gone now. He's been dead for many is years. Is he the one who had the world record out of there? He yes. Yes. And he, he wrote the book called Them Old Brown Fish. I always want wished I would have got to meet him. Uh, I've got some friends that met him and, and got to talk to him. So he would definitely be one. I would just like to pick his brain about, because smallmouth are an interesting creature. Um, right. Andrew, I'm sure you can attest to that, living on Erie. But, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, I definitely like, I'd like to, <laughs> yeah, I'd like to talk to him about, about smallmouth and, and his theories on why they do certain things. Because he, I mean, that that's old school. You know, what he learned was from experience, not by watching a graph or anything like that. It was from experience. Right. And then the third would probably be, man, I don't know. <laughs> Just real I'm quick, if I told you how one, much that old brown. Power. Ooh, that's a good one. I like that. You go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I just looked up them old brown fish. You will never guess how much that book is selling for. How much? Like 250 and up. Really? <laughs> yeah, Dang. I just Googled it real fast. I was like, ooh, I feel like I've heard that book. And I was like, the cheapest one I found was on Amazon. They got one copy left for it. It's like 120 bucks. But the oh, rest of them are like 250 what? to 280 That's crazy. <laughs> Huh. I, I apologize. I got super excited about it there. I was like, my gosh, that is no, ridiculous. No. <laughs> no, you're fine. But no, um, you know, when you're growing up, people always ask you, who's your role model and, and this and that. And I always told people, Denny Brower, he was definitely 
uh, somebody that I looked up to, you know, as a kid growing up. I just always liked his fishing style and the way he carried himself and the way, you know, he took one technique, flipping and pitching, and, and just dominated, you know, several tournaments and won a classic that way. And and working with Mustad, I've actually got to meet Denny, and he's become a friend, and he's just as nice and, and just as much as a, of a legend as, as you would hope he would be. So. Right. Uh, yeah. Definitely like hanging out with that dude as well. Now, on the Denny Brower subject, did you watch the Stray Cast episode the other night with him, uh, Jason Christie, and Hackney? I did not, but I'll have to because that's that's three yeah. of a kind right there. <laughs> all, all, all I remember is like Hackney be like, "Oh man, come on!" And Jason was laughing, and Denny just didn't stop laughing for like. The 20 minutes I watched, I only think he said a sentence. He just laughed the whole time. And I was like, he just seems like a fun dude to be around <laughs> if he's just going to laugh the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was, man. It was a good episode for sure. That was a funny one. Uh, they were, it was pretty much Denny and Hackman ganging up on Christy, calling him a coot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he is. He's a nice guy. <laughs> yeah. 100%. Well, uh, I think <laughs> I feel like the elite series might be a little more interesting next year. Even not saying it's not interesting now, but the, with those guys coming back, possibly it's going to add a whole nother dynamic. Oh, we cut out. I think we have a lag. Oh, oh yeah, 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 for sure. I mean. It's glitchy. Let's see. We got me. Oh, you're kind of cutting in and out, but oh, we'll see if that worked. Can you guys? We got hear you. Me? We can hear you. We can hear you now. <laughs> <laughs> it's my stupid hotel Wi-Fi, probably. Okay. Yep. Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Okay. But yeah, no, no, you're exactly right. Right, you know, and I—I I mean, I, I hope those guys fall. More competition, the better, right? Yeah, a little bit. No, the series will definitely be interesting, no doubt. And if Christy comes, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. If if, uh, <laughs> if Jason Christie requalifies, that's one last check we'll be fishing. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's like Mister Money. He's oh, always in sure. that cut i feel like when he was there always and if he was like in the top 20 watch out come day three <laughs> i think we have a, a big lag yes we do <laughs> yeah. Yeah. all right brandon well we have a uh we have quite a lag going on here so i think that uh, we're gonna end it right there and uh, but we just want to say thank you for coming on tonight. Yes, thank you. Get to, uh, to tuning in, and uh, we learned learned a bunch from you. And you're always welcome on the show, man. <laughs> Give it three seconds for him to hear. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. I certainly enjoyed it. Uh, looking forward to doing this again. Yeah, and uh, best of luck if you're going to sit in the stand tomorrow. I hope you get a big old buck. Yep. Good luck and uh, take care. Have a good night.
All right, guys. Thank you. Appreciate it. Okay. Have right. a good one. <laughs> it was like <laughs> it was like right at the last two minutes, Wi-Fi just shot the bed. Unfortunately, yeah, but for we could, whatever reason, yeah. We had them during the important parts, and uh, we appreciate Brandon coming on. So, uh, huge thank you to Brandon. And down in the description, if you guys aren't following him already, go down and follow his social medias. Uh, it would mean a lot to us, a lot to him. Uh, but that was a blast talking about. It. We learned a bunch, and uh, I might have to see if there's a secret pond or a little creek or something I can go hop in on Sunday after the tournament. Uh, unless Chick's really good. Sounds like it's a struggle bus right now. But if it's really good, I'll probably go back out. But We'll see what happens, but I'm excited for – I got four days of practice for Chickamauga this week, and then Derby Saturday. I think there's 160 people in it right now so far, so that's 10,000 for first. So we'll see. Better win, boy. That's Better the plan. Win. That's the plan. We'll Get see. that sick 1099 for him. <laughs> the W9 that we had to sign. Yep, got to love that. <laughs> But uh, no, thank you guys. Thank you to everybody who tuned in for, I think, guys for uh, you know tuning in to watch, ask some questions. We do appreciate it. Uh, if you guys are listening to this the next um, on Tuesday or a day after, uh, we have another live session Wednesday night, Wednesday night at seven thirty with Derek Hudnall of the Elite Series, and then Friday as well as episode number one hundred and fifty with Mark Rose that will be live as well, also at seven thirty p.m. Uh, on Friday Huge. we'll be giving away. Yep. A lot of giveaways. Make sure you share, like, tag your friends, have some oh, yeah. fun after Bass and Bourbon oh, yeah. on Wednesday. Yeah, make sure you guys tune in to both those episodes and then definitely tune in to 150 so you guys can enter for those giveaways. Uh, if you're listening to this right now and it's not Friday, it's before Friday, make sure you go to our Instagram page and you can enter to win some serious angler swag. Just go tag a friend, follow us on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. They're going on all three. But and, and make you sure got, you tune in Friday as well because there's going to be some live giveaways going on mm-hmm. during the podcast. So make sure you're uh, thinking of some good questions to get those in. Yep. From all of our sponsors, our, our show partners, and Mark Rose is giving away a signed jersey. So make sure you guys head over to that and tune in. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a party. But uh, as always, thank you guys for watching and listening. We'll see you guys on Wednesday.